You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er fam. Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Jeff J. Jeff is an on-air personality, video producer for Bleacher Report, and co-host of the For All Nerds podcast. Jeff is known for creating and elevating content. He's also had a number of features as a freelance writer and entertainment correspondent. But interestingly, Jeff holds a bachelor's and master's degree in computer science. Unsure of what he wanted to do after grad school, Jeff did what many of us do. He took the safe route, landing a job at a consulting firm doing advisory and compliance work for Wall Street. While this was not his dream career, he made it work for a while and at the same time started dabbling in media and beefing up his writing skills. Eventually, Jeff decided to stop playing it safe and go after his passions. But what I love about his story is it is a living example of what can happen when preparation meets opportunity. So please take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Jeff. Welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good. You looking all relaxed and joyful today? I mean, I have to. You came out on this fashionista <laughs> trend. I didn't know fashion is, week came early. I'm here chilling this, my regular stuff and you like, pow. So this I'm is like, low-key sweater. Get out of here. Now I like the design. It's like Thank the you. half and half. I'm like a sucker for like, uh, what do you what do you call it? Color blocking? <laughs> yes, yes. Which is big, big now. Color oh, yeah, blocking. yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Um, but in any, in any event, let's jump into it. So tell me, who is is Jeff J. Who is he? Who is that dude? Um, Jeff is somebody who has high ambitions for himself and has always projected a sense of accomplishment and a desire to be better than the best he could be. And he got that from his parents and uh, that along with instilling the belief that family should come over everything and that family is, you, you have to be tight with your family, you have to love your family and keep those bonds strong. Um, Jeff is somebody who works as smart as he does hard mm -hmm. and sees value in helping others along with striving to be the best version of himself. And that's in anything he does. So I'd also say that he wants to be as genuine as possible, as empathetic as possible, and just somebody who you would want, you can speak to and somebody who he wants to see you shine and he wants the team to shine. So any way that he can help and any way that he can offer advice, like he's the type of person who won't won't see something going wrong and keep his mouth shut. Mm -hmm. And if he does, he'll make sure to rectify that some way down the line. OK, so let's unpack some of that. OK. Tell me about your upbringing, where you grew up and that family dynamic that you referenced. Oh, it's cool. So I um, grew up in New York, in Queens, New York. Um, mother's side of the family's from Haiti. Father's side is from New York uh, by way of like North Carolina. And um, yeah, so I, I grew up here. I'm a native New Yorker. I've lived here a majority of my life. And 
you know, I have uh, two sisters, one older, one younger, so I am middle child. Oh, you are the middle child. I'm middle child, but I offset that with being the only boy. So, okay. um, you know, that that was, I had the con- contracting elements or whatever. So, um, yeah, so, you know, we grew up, you know, it was loving household. Um, one thing about my mom is that she always said, like, you know, she never wanted our family to ever become disjoint, that someone wouldn't know, like my sister would never be able to say, I don't know where Jeff is or I don't know what he's doing, Mm -hmm. that we should keep the bonds to we should keep the bonds secure, keep the bonds strong, that we should always be in contact with each other, that we should love each other. If we fight, you argue, whatever, but you should be able to keep that familial tie um, forever because, you know, long after she's gone, long after anybody, grandparents gone, we'll, we'll all we'll have is each other. Like at the end of the day, at a foundationally. So just to keep those ties alive. So we have had uh, several folks of Haitian descent uh, on the show. Yeah, you're in New York. Um, yeah. That's exactly, going to happen. <laughs> right? You, you can't get around that. Yeah. Um, there's a whole Haitian collective of 26ers who listen to and have been on the show and all that great stuff. Mm-hmm. But one of the common themes there um, is parents really pushing their kids to strive to be the best that they could be. So oh, do yeah. you feel like that ambition that you've had, which I want to get into more, is inherent or something that your parents were like, you will be successful and we're going to make sure that happens. So I think whatever we have inside of us, it's like the potential to kinetic energy where you need a catalyst to release it. Mm -hmm. If it's inside of you, that catalyst could be your parents. It could be a situation that occurs. So I couldn't say definitively whether or not it was an innate quality I had to be ambitious. But what I will say is it was expected Mm -hmm. that I succeed. There was no second place. If you've got second place, you analyze why it's good, but strive for more. I remember I tell people this all the time, um, friends, whoever, I would come home with a report card, get like, let's say five courses or whatever. I'd have like four A's and a B. And my mom would look and say, what is this B? What, what Like, what is this? Like, she acted like she never saw the letter B in the history of her life, right? So I would say, yeah, you know, it's like an 85. It's like an 87. It's almost an A. You know, I did all right. She was like, I don't send you to school for B's. Like, I don't. I don't know what this is. Um, you know, I send you to school for A's. And she was like maybe 25% joking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But she, that was her way of saying, don't settle. Right. Don't settle just to be good. Don't be good. Be great. Don't be great. Be excellent. There's always as close you can get to excellence. Mm-hmm. Try to get there. And on my father's side, um, oh, just another quick thing. I used to be, uh, one semester in high school, I was late for, <laughs> I was late for gym, so I, I failed. I And I, for the quarter, for like this, like, you know, we have quarters in New York, so like that first quarter or whatever, or tri, uh, trimester or whatever, um, I got an F. And she looked, and everything else was like A's. And she looked at me, I'd never seen the disappointment <laughs> in her. In like, gym. She was like, gym? What, 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 you can't run? You Are you unathletic? I said, I, I was late like twice. And she was just like, nah. She, you know, she, that was the one time I saw her laugh because she was, she knew something happened. Mm-hmm. She saw the F and she was like, no, nah, what, nah, what is this? Like, what did you, like, what did you do? And I was just like, yeah, I was late a couple because it was an 8 a.m. class. A gym and, at 8 a.m.? Oh, yeah, no. That... And, and, you know, I had to, I had to finesse it. So I would go to class and I would wear my gym clothes under my, my, um, under my regular clothes because mm-hmm. 
because they would lock the gym if you were late so that you couldn't go in and change. So, okay, y'all going to be at the track? I would meet them at the track, <laughs> address. <laughs> Strip from here, street clothes. And my, and my teacher would just be like, I, I couldn't believe that. But yeah, so that was my mom. And for my father, I think he led a lot by example. Mm-hmm. So when I would ask him about things and stuff in his life, he's like, yeah, I went to college, you know, I, um, and he went to college later on in life, which I didn't know until much later. Like, he was like almost like uh, in his 30s, mm-hmm. he got wow. his degree again, right? And um, he would always set the example of what success looked like for me, what striving for the best looked like, and also to not just set the bar, but to eclipse it. So wow. he was the bar. And his his uh, presence as being the bar was for me to be able to leap over it. And and that was my goal. So I always felt, all right, I got to be better than him. Not as much of a competition, but for legacy, for myself and for our legacy. That's powerful. I have to be better than him. And he never said that to me, but... It was what he exuded from his, like, his confidence, his personality. And when he was, he would always tell me stuff. A lot of stuff that later on, I, he did a lot of embellishing. He did a lot of um, obfuscating his own background, like, stuff that I found out later. But I realized that he wanted to be the model. He wanted to be the model that, like, he was, like, point uh the version one and i was supposed to be version two and beyond and the only way you can get to the next version is if you correct the mistakes of the previous version or or just advance so i always looked at him and said yeah i have to be better than him and i'm like damn he went to college so that means i gotta go to grad school at least i gotta do Mm -hmm. like well in college um you know he has a successful career i have to have a successful career i need to make more than him i need to do all of that and i think that ambition for me it, it was a healthy thing because i always had another goal i always had another milestone right my milestone was not the end all be all because it would always be what's next i want to talk about something that you mentioned because i think it's common um particularly in families of color that obfuscating mm-hmm. like yeah. there's this whole other story that your parents have that they don't get into mm-hmm. or you may find out but it's later um and sometimes you find out not in like a controlled setting if somebody decides <laughs> to tell controlled. you it's never like that it's, it's just controlled. something comes out some auntie says something you're or whatever right, you're right, like right. say what now them cookouts um, <laughs> man and i'm telling you you should be like yo this is this is where the, all the tea is exactly. right exactly <laughs> when the family gets together right. somebody you know gets to talking and what you have know you know how your uncle is hmm. exactly like, all right but why do you think that is why do you think you know, parents within our communities, for the most part, work mm. so hard to keep those that history of those certain parts of themselves secret. That's a good question. I think they fear the that their kids will use the knowledge to follow their same footsteps. Really? And it's almost counterintuitive, right? So let's say I was a kid, I touched a hot stove and I burned my hand. So I have a younger, I have a son or I have a cousin or I have somebody younger, the next generation. And I look at and they ask me, have I ever touched a hot stove? And I just say, nah, I never I never really touched it. But I don't go into why Mm -hmm. I don't give them the details. So then it's almost as if me saying um, I didn't touch it because I touched it and it was hot and I burned myself. And that's how I learned never to touch it again. They feel like if I say that to the kid, they'll go and touch the stove Mm -hmm. anyway. Right. The fact of the matter is that knowledge, people are still going to experience what they experience. You're still going to go through life. How many times have we seen drunk driving um, commercials and horror stories and 
everything and people still do it. People still, people still will, because against all logic, you wouldn't do that, but you still get put in situations where it's not going to be me. I'll roll the dice. So I think a lot of times these, like our parents and our elders, they, they won. They don't want to tell us because they don't want to inject an idea that they feel may not be there Mm -hmm. in order to, um, in order to grow and incubate future evils or whatever. The second thing is you don't want to look like a sucker in front of your kids. (laughs) You know, you want to be their hero. And some of the most compelling stories of heroes in our life is, are the heroes that are the most fallible. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man is my favorite hero and he's my favorite hero because of Peter Parker, not because of Spider-Man because he's a dude from Queens who it seems like everything can go wrong with him and it goes wrong because he has this responsibility. He learned the hardest lesson of his life because the one time he didn't want to help, he lost his uncle, right? Mm -hmm. That that, that was him feeling himself. That was him getting cocky. But when he got his powers and he could have did something and he didn't and that, that, um, led the way that paved the way and informed his entire rest of his life and his career and everything that he did. He's not perfect. He's always late to stuff. He's always doing stuff, but that's what makes him compelling because he's just like me and you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't think any, no perfect, there's no such thing as a perfect hero. And once we shake that idea, then we can be real. Like if I knew half of the things my father went through, if I knew that when I was a kid, I would have asked a lot more questions. Mm-hmm. I would have been in, I would have been interested. I don't think it would have drove me to do the things that he did, but it would be good to know that I don't have to be perfect to be good. Right. And I think sometimes, too, in addition to, I think there's this element of wanting to protect us and mm-hmm. all that great stuff. Um, but also, we still live in a culture of secrecy mm. um, where so much of our history is often shrouded in, in the mystery or like we can't talk about it. And I think that's been passed down. And because often the generations before us haven't worked through their own feelings and emotions around what they've experienced, it's hard to communicate that to someone else. Right. Because not only are you communicating it, but it may be calling up things for you, which you have not dealt with, Um, which is why I'm just such a huge proponent of people having a safe space to talk about their experiences and how they might have affected them. And I think there's something to be said for finding the right time to have those conversations Mm -hmm. with your children and Mm -hmm. with your grandchildren, because it also like helps you understand as a child or as a grandchild, oh, that's why you're like this, or Mm -hmm. that's why you make the decisions that you do, because you have this whole other life that I know nothing about that has affected you. Some of it is often trauma that has has not been addressed. Um, And I feel like we are being more open within communities of color around mental health and all those great things. But uh, having a more free communication and also setting aside that whole like elder versus child thing, because I think some of it's just that like you're my kid, you will respect me and I'm not going to show you anything that would give you ammunition to see my weakness as a parent or as an elder to you. So the more we can, I think, have those exchanges without it just coming out and And right, at the right, barbecue, right. the better. And I think it's also the evolution of how we deal with our trauma. Mm-hmm. As you said, mental health is finally starting to be destigmatized yes. in this era. You know, I I have a therapist now and I'm I'm going to therapy and I'm I'm starting it up. I've I've had a couple, but like I have a good one now. And um <laughs> and I'm actually starting to build and learn things about myself and just about what I've gone through and, and things blind spots we may have. Yes. And things that may be hidden within us that can be the root of what of why we suffer Mm -hmm. and we've had 
historically, you can go through, especially for African-Americans, Black Americans, with all the trauma that we've gone through in centuries, and then throughout the entire diaspora, those experiences within your countries and within your lineage, all the traumas and how we've dealt with them or the lack of dealing with them. Right. It all catches up and catches up and catches up to us. And now we're finding functional ways to do it. But I think as humans, we're naturally going to want to shroud our lives in mystery to those that come after us because mm-hmm. you want to see mysterious, you want to protect um, and low-key don't really know how to deal with some of that. And you don't want exactly. to have those tough conversations. That's why they're not called easy conversations. They're called tough conversations because there's a difficult aspect of how do I respond when they ask me why I did X, Y, Z and I still don't know to this <laughs> day. And I'm just like, well, you know, you know, it's like the meme where the dude is just like doing this. It's like you're doing that for like 25 minutes. But um, yeah, yeah, I think we're getting to a better place. And once we can get to a place where it's completely de- uh, demystified, destigmatized, and we can have those conversations and, and, you know, it doesn't even have to be as formalized. Just when right. being able to talk and having somebody to talk to, like that's the one of the hardest things to do. Once we're able to do that easier, then I think we'll be in a better place. For sure. So going back to now, seeing what your dad was able to accomplish and saying, okay, I, I not only have to meet his accomplishments, but I have to exceed them. Take me back to you being like junior, senior in high school. Mm-hmm. What was your vision for your your adult life at that time? <laughs> wow. So I just knew to me at that time, success was you have a good job, you have a family. And I would think for me, it probably was like a bill-free life. <laughs> so, you know, we don't know that there's some bills that are just perpetual, mm-hmm. but it's like a bill-free life where I'm comfortable and I, you know, I have a family and I have all of that. That's what I, I envisioned. I never, you know, I always had like throughout my time, I, I was always involved in a lot of different hobbies and things where I, I thought, you know, I, as always, I wanted to be a basketball player like everybody else. And, you know, that clearly that didn't work out. because You know, I'm not an <laughs> NBA legend or Hall of Famer or current NBA star. So, um, I wanted to do that. You know, I, I was I'm a big WWE, a big wrestling, pro wrestling fan. So at one point I wanted to do that. I was drawing. I had so many visions of what it's like. It's like Dr. Strange seeing all the millions of possible ways you can do something. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I had all of those ways, like different things that I saw for myself. But the one thing I always knew was that I just felt I felt inherently that I was destined to do something major. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. Something in a good way. <laughs> right, right, right. So I, I felt I was always going to do something great. And I would, when I got there, I would know. And then okay. I would just execute. So that's what it, it looked like. And of course, throughout my time living my life, that idea of sex, set, <laughs> right, the idea <laughs> of success, that idea of success has morphed and changed mm-hmm. and looked different to me now and evolved. So, yeah, like, uh, it's funny. You, you, I thought 25 was old when I was in a junior year. I was like, Isn't that crazy? And then when I hit it, I was like, oh, this ain't too bad. You know, I ain't old. I ain't old. So it's um, it's just funny to, to think about your perspective as a kid to when you become an adult. I'm telling you, I remember having like 30-year-old mentors and being like, they Still are fun. like geriatric, right? <laughs> you just think it's, it's so far ahead and then life comes at you fast and mm-hmm. Before you know it, you're like, oh, wow, I'm I'm that age now. And now I'm, you know, approaching. I'm not even going to get into it. But yeah, so, you know, it it, it accelerates the right. older you get. Mm-hmm. OK, 
Okay, so you went to Hofstra. Yes. Correct. So yes. what was your major? What what career were you aspiring to when you got there? So when I got to Hofstra, I was in computer science. Okay. Because that was the wave. Like I I was always into technology. Like mm-hmm. I was, I'm a tech head. I'm always going to be a tech head. And I was always into technology. And I felt like computer science was the way because that really was the only major that spoke to technology. Right. So I was a computer science major. And then computer science was heavy on programming. And I realized after the first year that programming wasn't really my thing. But I stayed in computer science because as the years go on, you could kind of shape um, the curriculum for what you want, uh, at least a little bit. Uh, A lot of people who I, I don't blame them at all when they after that have like CSE 15 and they were just like, you know what? This one ain't for me. I'm out of <laughs> here. I, I think I'm going to go over here. We had a, now it's IT, but before when I was there it was BCIS, Business Computer Information Systems. Wow, that's and taking it, it back. Computer Information back, Systems. Way, way back. So it was BCIS and then it converted to IT and, and when they f- realized that there was more to it than just Excel and Word and all of that. And it was under the School of Business and a lot of them went there. Um, but I, I stayed because I, I knew that that was my path to get into somewhere in technology. And I figured I wanted, as the years went on, and then I ended up going to grad school. And because uh, I, I got a direct, I applied for a director position, a uh, resident director um, on my on my campus and I got it. And then they were like, yeah, but you got to go to school though. And I was just like, all right. <laughs> so I, I, I took the GRE, got accepted, and I took computer science again. But that, for that um, grad degree, I was able to formulate the the curriculum into what I wanted. I could take IT courses. I could take different courses. And then I saw, you know what? I can do more than just program because I, I knew early on, I'm not going to be nobody's programmer that you stick me in a corner and I'm coding all day. <laughs> all day but long. some people love it. Like they love it. Like that's their life. That's their passion. More power to them. That was not my ministry. So <laughs> I I wanted to do something different. I knew I wanted to do something that combined my personality, business, and technology, right? So I went through there in grad school and I, I worked and worked and worked. And that's pretty much why I chose those degrees. I haven't told the uh, majors. Okay. So you were in grad school, was doing the RD thing. At some point, you ended up in corporate America. Yes. Right. How did that happen? I needed a job, man. <laughs> I needed a job. So um, I was applying. I was working on campus in Hofstra School of Law, which is wild, right? So I was mm-hmm. working at Hofstra's, Hofstra Law School doing admissions, okay. and there was a whole stuff where we were the people who filed your LSAT scores and helped you with your financial aid and anything, tours, all of that. Like, our office did it all. But, you know, the whole time, I'm kind of thinking, like, as I'm getting ready to graduate, because a lot of, of grad graduate degree majors, you get to a point where you have to do a project, mm-hmm. and that's the last thing you do, and that can really stretch out when you graduate. <laughs> so, like, I could have been done in six, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, okay, I'm going to hang around. I'm going to be done in a year. So then um, I think the next year came 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 along and I was just like, all right, I still don't know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I started asking around, like um, asking people, what do you think? Like, where do you think I can um, go? Blah, blah, blah. And then they mentioned a bunch of places and then they mentioned um, different consulting firms um, in corporate America, whatever. So I was like, okay, let me let me look around. So I started looking around, started researching, found one, the company I ended up working for. Um, I cold emailed.
emailed them like, hey, what's up? My name is Jeff. Um, I'm, a, I'm about to graduate from uh, Hofstra with my grad degree in computer science. Um, I was trying to see if there was any opportunities because at the time they came up to the school, but only for the business school. Okay. And nobody said anything to us. Or to me, I didn't hear about it. So the a recruiter emailed me back and was like, "Hey, send me your resume, send me um, whatever your GPA X Y Z." Did all of that, and then I got a phone interview, an in person interview, and I ended up getting the job. I thought it was gonna be more on a consulting, like a, I didn't. Let me let me let me take a step back. I didn't really know what computer like technology consulting was. <laughs> like what I had the idea of what it was and what I ended up doing um was two different things cuz my stuff was more along the the lines of compliance okay. and um, and looking into systems to make sure that they're doing what they're doing, right? So it was like, um, it was like IT advisory, okay. right? And um, that put me on wall, like different clients on Wall Street and everywhere else um, for like the next four or five years. So that's really how I ended up there. And I'm very happy that I did because I feel like, and we were talking about it earlier, mm -hmm. um, corporate America experience is great when you want to learn about the business world, not the idealistic business world of what it is and how to deal with people and how to deal professionally with people yes. in different cir circumstances and situations. It helped me immensely in my career. So that that's how I ended up in corporate America. And just to point out how to deal professionally with people who have very strong personalities mm -hmm. and may make you feel like you don't want to deal with them right. professionally, for lack of a better term. Right, right, right. Exactly. And you, you learn <laughs> email etiquette is some of the best skills I've ever had mm -hmm. of how to get you get to the point of something, how to ask for something, how to express your dismay <laughs> over people not reading stuff that you sent yes. in the most professional way possible. It's those soft skills that you can take anywhere in your life that, that help. And the other thing that's great about working in corporate America is there's a lot of training. Depending mm -hmm. on the job, like nowadays, there's a lot of training that you can get that can build you up in that career field and for yourself, soft skills-wise, that you can use anywhere because they're going to invest in their talent. But that doesn't mean that you divest once you leave. Right. It stays with you for the rest of your life. So you just enhance your own skills as a professional, along with helping out the company because you're able to execute that for them. But then once you leave, you know, that's why once you leave, you can carry it anywhere. That's why you, you should stay true to your career and no place of employment because that way you're always able to be the best professional you can be. And that will resonate wherever you work. For sure. So did you have like a specific moment within corporate America where you were like, I may not want to do this forever? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get I, a stretch on that one. I definitely did. So around the time I got into, I got my job after like a year or so, well, even around the same year was when I really started getting into media mm -hmm. and I started writing blogs and then it, it started morphing into social media, like doing social media management. And I started getting, I did, I had my own blog I was writing and I started, I was writing about everything. And every time I've started a blog, it's been for a purpose. My first blog, I started it to get rep. 
reps and to build up my writing and to and to hone my skills so that I can do something on a bigger platform. So then I started writing for a relationship site and I was doing that for like three or four years. So when I started writing for them, um, you know, that was like I was like accomplishing that goal. So I started writing for them and then we started doing more. We started hosting events. We started doing more in the way of video. We really were expanding who we are. And along that line, I was building up my own professional portfolio. So I actually came within corporate America. I came to two come to Jesus moments, mm -hmm. like two two moments of clarity. Um, yeah, I I call them the effort moments. Mm -hmm. You know, insert letters for asterisks wherever you may. <laughs> but it's like the moment where you really wake up and you say, "Yo, f this, I'm out." <laughs> We've I'm, all had that I'm, moment. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, I'm. Uh, this is it. Like, I, 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 this is all I can stand and I can't stand no more, right? So my first, at my first job, that moment came when I was working late night on this project and it was like uh, a month before it was uh, closing time. Like our, our I don't want to get into like dates and terminology that some only some of y'all wouldn't know, <laughs> but there was like at the end, like let's say September 30th, mm -hmm. end of year, we had closing dates on the project and we were getting to the end. I was in our New York office and everybody else was at the client because I think I had something else to do in like an event and I had to be in. We rarely worked in the office, but I was there. So we were having a meeting, like a conference call about um, some work that had to be done and they were critiquing and stuff like that. I had gave some, I had gave uh, two junior members under me like projects to do and I was reviewing it and stuff and stuff was fine. But another manager who he really didn't know what he was doing, he started critiquing their work and they they had questions that they had never brought to me mm -hmm. and he made it seem like it was my my problem because they didn't come and tell me it. Like the first time I was hearing about it, that specific issue was on that conference call. So him and my other manager were having a conversation like I wasn't there. Oh, that's the worst. So they were like, yeah, um, Jeff didn't really check the this work. So like, what are we going to do? So the other manager was like, all right, so since Jeff didn't check it, so what we're going to do is blah, 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 blah. And mind you, I'm sitting there and <laughs> for any black person Black, especially, I'll even say black men feel this, but I know black women feel this too. But as any black person working in corporate America or working in general in America, right? You have to manage your anger because we always yes. get the black, ang angry black man, angry black woman stigma. So we yes. always have to measure that so that we don't explode because once we explode, it's oh, I told you they be acting like that. I can't, I'm, I'm threatened. I feel threatened. I can't work with them anymore. So I'm on the phone and I'm listening to this and I'm like, nah, I gotta stand up because at one point, I was like, yo, I don't, at this point, I don't care. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I stopped him. I was like, hold up. First of all, Jeff is here. <laughs> and Jeff didn't do none of that. Jeff did X, Y, and Z. Secondly, all of this is uh, like, and I started going into detail. Were you talking at that volume? Too? Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyone who knows me know when I get hyped, we go, we, it's levels. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm probably peaking right now, right? Because I was peaking at that moment. He's looking at it, he's like, let me go look at this damn. <laughs> He gonna turn his levels down and he gonna talk that loud for this whole time. I'm on the red. For those of you who work in audio, you know I'm peaking right now. So I, I black out. Mm -hmm. Like I black out as professionally as, as possible and I purposely stayed in that office until midnight and, and did everything that I could do to like get to a stopping point so that they I couldn't hear their mouth anymore. Then I met my friends at a bar for the rest of the night. Um, Probably not the best idea to like go to a bar after you're upset, right? Yeah. But it was cool. I, I, needed, I just needed to talk and vent. And when I went home, I said, 
yeah, that's it. I'm out. Right. So at that moment, I wanted to I wanted I was thinking about like, what could I do? And I'm like, yo, could I really do this media stuff full time? Mm -hmm. Anybody who works in corporate America also know that <laughs> that pay gap between certain oh. jobs in media and certain jobs yes. in, in corporate. That's how they keep a lot the of the golden people. handcuffs. Because yes. right. Because you you're making a certain amount of money. You're like, damn, I can't leave this because how am I going to live? You know what I'm saying? I felt like uh, years ago when Latrell Spiro was like, I only make 18 million dollars. <laughs> how, how can I feed my kids? And I'm like, damn, give me 18,000. I feed them. Y'all, I find food for them. You know what I'm saying? But um, I, I, and eventually I was like, yo, I'm going to go into media. Like, I don't care. Then I thought about it. And just because of the where my life was at the moment, I really couldn't do it without taking a major hit. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to, um, I ended up getting recruited for um, the second job I had in corporate America. And, and it was off LinkedIn. By the way, LinkedIn is the truth. Like, People honestly, sleep on it, but it is. Do not sleep on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the truth. So I ended up, that job was more, it was corporate, but it was media. It was okay. specifically in media. So I was able to have one foot in the door in media. So I looked at it as strategic and I said, okay, I can do this for a few years and maybe I can end up, because I never thought I could have a career in media. Mm -hmm. I thought it would always be like a side hustle where I would just do it as my hobby and make money off of it or, or get recognition or just enjoy, like create, right? Create and, and be able to express myself as an artist. So I get that job. And then three or four years later, I have a second effort moment. And, you know, anytime you want to bring me back and talk about performance reviews, <laughs> I will do that. But that that will take this out the window. Oh, and I, I know. Wanna, we don't want to jump out the window. I understand. Just yet. Trust me. But I basically had a performance review where I didn't hear any of these negatives until that performance review day. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at the dude like, yo, you never said anything about this. We work for three months. We work on a three month cadence where we should be talking. If you had anything to say, you could have told me this. And I, you, if there were buses, I was I wasn't under their work. I was under there getting run over. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And it was to the point where once again I was peaking <laughs> because I was like, "Yo, I'm not gonna. You're not gonna sully my name like this." So I walk out of the. I was in an office once again. I was on a conference call, and they were all in um, another state where they were working. I come out, and my um, my coworkers like were sitting around. They were like, "Yo, you I, <laughs> you I," and I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Nah, I'm all right. I'm all right." And I got on a, on the horn with. Um, Headhunters, you know, because that's another thing about corporate world. Headhunters are always there. They're like the dirty max. They're the at the world. ready. They're yes. ready. Like, yo, you know, your job ain't doing that for you. Like, come talk to me. Like, I got something for you over here. Like, you know, I'll take you out. You know what I'm saying? So they, I called them and I was like, yo, get me the F out of here. That was my second F it moment. So I go out on these, um, I go on all these interviews and I'm going to all this stuff. It's like six figure job here, six figure job there. Doing the same type of stuff that I was doing, um, advisory consulting. Mm -hmm work. Same type of stuff um, in the New York area. One of those jobs where you could work there, never move up work the rest of your life, get incremental bonuses and yep. you be straight. Get your little 3% increase, right, right, stuck right. in middle management, yes. So I walk out of one of them and I was just like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I just can't. I don't want to do it. So I called the headhunter and I was just like, you could cancel everything else I have. You could take me out the running for anything else I would have been. I'm sorry. I don't want to do this job anymore and I don't want to get this job and ruin y'all bad name right. because I'm going to be out. Right. So um, at the time, that's when I decided I was going to work at the job I was there now and get a job in media. So I was just interviewing, interviewing. I was um, uh, modifying my resume to look more like a media, a job, uh, a career in media resume. Because you like, were still doing the tech stuff yeah, at this yeah, media yeah. company. Okay. 
Because okay. that, but writing on the side, right? Mm-hmm. But at this point, it started morphing to on camera work okay. and and hosting and red carpet and like getting interviewed for um for talking head stuff and then getting segments on shows. And I had no experience, mm-hmm. so that that type of stuff showed me I had potential to be something great. And I feel like that was the moment that I realized why I'm here. Wow. Why I'm on, why, why I'm here. I'm like, this, I've been doing this for almost a decade. I've been doing well, at the time, like maybe like seven, eight years. I've been doing this for seven, eight years and I've been doing it and I've been loving it. And it's been staring me at the face the whole time. Mm-hmm. The riddle, the answer to the riddle has been in the work. And I, I've been trying to solve it doing complex algorithms and, and all these equations. But the riddle's always been in the work. It's been staring me the answer. The it's time. like it's like I feel like the Riddler's just looking at me like, do I have to repeat this one again? You, 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 you're, <laughs> it's going over your head. Right. So so, you know, I, you know, I got a lot of help. I got a lot of people helping me out, whether it was telling me what classes to take, what um, like people I talked to, agencies to hook up with, like stuff like that, where I was continuously building up, building up. And I felt like, and I always say luck had a, a hand in it too, because I did enough work to put me in positions where I got certain breaks and I was able to capitalize off of them. Right. So, you know, just to show you how that works, I, I interviewed for um, a social media position at Al Jazeera America, right? I, I got down to the final two and they and they told me, which was rare for com- for companies to tell you why they don't choose you because mm-hmm. they don't want to get any lawsuits, you know, like HR type stuff, whatever. Like, oh, he said blah, blah, blah. But they were just like, you know, you came down to the final two. We want somebody with more news experience. I can't hold you. Like, I don't got that. Can't so argue it's just with like, that, you know, right. so that was cool. They end up going under a year later. So Al Jazeera America, they, they don't have that coverage or anything anymore. So they end up going up under a year later. And um, a month after that, uh, I had uh, one of my frat brothers who was working at Bleacher Report. And he started the group that's called Social Moments Now. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for people of all different backgrounds. They wanted like um, the di- di- diversity in thought, diversity in look, like all the way. They were like, yo, if you were like a freaking work construction and you have dope ideas, mm-hmm. we will be able to, you know, we'll take you. If you have certain experience, we'll take you. Um, we'll at least interview. So he hit me. He said, yo, I know you've been on this journey. I know you've been trying to do this. Send me your resume. I can't give you the job. But I can, you know, I put you in the front of the right people and you could get these interviews. And that's really, I think, all we ever want. Absolutely. And once I got that opportunity, you know, clearly it worked out, right? Because I've been working there. I've been there almost three years. But I got in front of the right people and I was speaking to them and we were talking shop. And I realized, yo, that's when I knew, like, you know, I really belonged here. Now, our relationship, we went to different schools Mm -hmm. at one point. So I could have been the type of person that... um, wasn't outgoing. That's really not who I am. But if I shaded him, if I didn't speak to him, if I didn't talk to him like as a person, if I never kept those bonds strong, if we didn't become closer friends, does he offer me that opportunity? So I was, once again, the riddle was in the work. The riddle was in what I was doing. And um, the answer to the riddle, I should say. Um, And from that, from years, that was like, I had met him 14 years Mm -hmm. before this opportunity came up, right? So it's like, Two, almost almost two decades later, like yeah, fourteen years later. Uh, it's funny, it's two seven year periods. Um, if you if you're in fraternities, you know why that's like so uh, apropos. But <laughs> so that time period that we we had, it's set up for what it was now. Mm-hmm. So kept being able to capitalize on those opportunities and realize when I did at two different points, yeah, this isn't for me. It helped me to get where I am now. 
But you know what I appreciate about your story? Because people will hear that mm-hmm. and be like, man, I feel him. We've, we've all had that moment where you're like, I am about to snap. If I stay in this job one more day, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And a lot of those same people know that they have other talents. But I think the blind spot sometimes is when people are not nurturing those talents and honing their skills, even though they're not in a job that they want to be in long term. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. I mean, to work a job all day because they're especially as a black person, there are two things that exhaust you about the job. Mm -hmm. The work itself and just being black in that (laughs) environment. Right. Like that. That's a work in and of itself. Like two jobs. you, You literally are between the microaggressions, you know, watching people fail up in advance ahead of you, the not saying anything to you all throughout the fiscal year. Then when the performance review, it's like they're trying to come up with reasons to not give you a raise. You know, all that stuff that happens. And then being in situations where people are talking like you're not in the room and now taking, putting an effort to constrain yourself, you know, and not say what you really want to say. All that stuff is exhausting. So I understand when people take, they have those jobs and they have those experiences. And I'm not saying we never have allies in Mm -hmm. corporate America because Mm -hmm. there are people who have helped me at various points in my career and recognize my talent. Let me just say that. But sometimes because of what you're dealing with during the day, when you come home, it's like I have nothing left to give. And all you want to do is vent and complain about what happened uh, and not necessarily put the investment and the energy into the things that you're passionate about as well. So you did that all this time, despite being in work environments that were not the best, you were home on your writing skills, getting the media uh, experience, taking opportunities as they, they came. And even when you decided to leave, you know, that job and you probably at that point had a pretty good portfolio, mm-hmm. you still didn't say, I'm about to just do this media thing. You said, OK, I'm going to get take this opportunity within the media space. It's not in the capacity that I'd like it to be, mm-hmm. but at least it's a start. So I think the lesson here for our listeners is just because you know you have talent and you're sick of the situation that you're in doesn't mean that you should not be strategic mm-hmm. and take the time to lay the proper foundation, because that's what sets you up for success. And there are people who pull the parachute without any of this, like right. without any of the structure and the plan and they make it work. But if you're not somebody that has the capacity for that level of risk, mm-hmm. then you best believe that you should be taking those evenings, you know, and it's it is exhausting trying to do play both roles, but building up the resume, setting the foundation so so that when you do jump, mm-hmm. there's a soft landing. Yeah. And, and I think you said it right when you said that you having the capacity to do it, mm-hmm. because there are some people who quit jobs cold turkey yes. and more power to them. They are braver people than I am. Right. Right. Like I, I personally, I've always said I would never advocate for that. Mm-hmm. I would never recommend somebody just leave a job. But I understood because you know what? I was at that point, too. Yeah. I said, if I don't get a job by by June of 2016 in media, I'm out. I will become a starving artist. Mm-hmm. I will go, I'll just, because uh, I'll do commercial acting. I'll do that full time. I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll freelance. I'll do whatever. I don't know, but I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. So you need to know your limit. And I think it's an, a couple other things. One, you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. once you find your talent, lock in. And two, everybody paths is different. Mm-hmm. Every path is different. Just because I did it this way, this is the most roundabout way yeah. to get to where you want to go. Some people, they go to school for journalism and all that their whole life and then they get a job and that's a great path. But just because you are not in the traditional path to your dream doesn't mean you can't take a detour there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a word. So... Bleacher Report. Yes. You got in to uh-huh. Bleacher Report now. Now, let me just ask you this, because since we've talked about the difference in pay, did you take a pay cut? 
I did. Okay. I did. I did. Um, funny how healthcare and all that stuff works where I got into a situation because of contributing more to my 401k mm-hmm. and the the healthcare package. It by the time I got to like the end of the year, the checks looked similar. Okay. And it was just because of deductions and all of that alone. Cause I don't think I was contributing as much as I probably should have mm-hmm. to my 401k when I was at my, my job before Bleacher. Um, I probably should have contributed more and it would have been, yeah, I'm not going to do all the math now, but I, I did take a cut mm-hmm. and I was willing to take as big of a cut as I needed at that point. I, would, I just had to adjust my finances and my spending and all of that accordingly. But once I was able to do things in terms of pre-tax versus post-tax um, contributions, the healthcare package that uh, we have as opposed to what I had before, it ended up being the um, the same amount that I was making. Because it, it not even so much the same amount, but it ended up after tax, like right. what you take in gross, I, it ended up being around the same amount. So now like being there three years later, I've eclipsed what I've I made before, but do believe I was I would have been out. It would there was a number where I would I would have said that was the threshold, but then I'd have to ask myself the hard question mm-hmm. like, do you you know do you want to be here um, and hate it? Or do you want to take a chance on yourself and and love what you do? Because, you know, I'd rather for myself, I'm the type of person I I don't want to live with regret. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say what if. I don't want to be one of these fallen ballers that walks around the park <laughs> and says, yo, I could have been in the NBA if I would have did my schoolwork. If I wasn't hustling on the corner or at least if I didn't get caught hustling on the corner, if I would have if I would have been about my game and not been about um any of this other stuff, I would have been in the league. I would have been somebody that you know. In 86, you, right. Yeah. <laughs> you would you would know me outside of outside of these courts and outside of being a a, a hood legend. I never wanted to be that. So I was going to take that shot regardless because I think living with that regret is something that would eat away at the rest for the rest of my life. And I also knew staying in that job, doing a job because I could, not because I loved it or because I actually got some type of prosperity from mm-hmm. it or any type of passion, my skills were eroding. I felt like I was losing my natural ability. The stuff that I do at Bleacher um, exemplifies what I naturally am talented that. And I felt like I wanted to be at a job that, that, um, accentuated those talents and amplified them and, and refined them. And I was able to do something that I love, do something that I'm great at and make money and be able to have a great, great living. But every day that I just did this corporate stuff, I, you know, I, I was losing. I right. felt like I was losing my muscle memory. I didn't, every time I was doing that, I wasn't being creative. Mm-hmm. I wasn't creating. So at what point do I get, get to a level where I've aged out or I've, I've, uh, lost my creativity. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to lose my powers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the, it's like, it's like that job was my kryptonite. And the more I stayed in proximity to it, the more I became human mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was trying to be superhuman. So the best way was to escape. So you've been at Bleacher Report now since 2016. Tell me how that really enhances your creativity. I work with some of the greatest creatives in this business, and this isn't Lyft service. This lifts Lyft, Lyft service. I don't work for Lyft. I don't work for Lyft, <laughs> although that would be, I could use the money. Um, 
it's not just lip service, right? The I the difference between working there and what I do freelance is when I'm freelance, I'm the judge, jury, and executioner. Right. I I'm I'm a committee of one. I'm a brainstorm of one. What you know, I bounce stuff off ideas, but I make the calls like I because I, it's me. It's personalized towards me and my my hashtag brand. But when I work with Bleacher, we're working in brainstorms, working as a collective, as a team, where you contribute ideas, and 90% of the stuff you say may not be used. Right. They may use 10% of the 90% of one idea or one part of one idea that you use. But then you contribute to something that you may see on social or in our app and you say, oh, that's great. Like, that's off the hook. Like, that, that you know, that that's something that's real creative, that's real dope. Um, And then you see it and you're like, yo, Bleach Report is doing great things. And it's like, yeah, you know, that caption, I came up with like three words in that <laughs> caption. You know, that one idea, that one, that one little effect in the corner of the screen, that was my idea. Mm-hmm. But we are collecting. We we we're literally like the the uh, the transformers that come together and we make one big unit of collective creative ideas. So when you're surrounded by excellent creative minds or excellent minds in any field of of what you do, you elevate. Mm-hmm. You elevate. You have no choice but to elevate. Right. It's sink or swim. So you're you're like flooded with with a deluge of excellence and For creativity, sure. and and it just gets you. Um, sparks your mind. Like I've become more inventive working there because I've been forced to. For you sure. want to do, we we had a whole new group when I started in social moments when I was an editor there and we had to think of new stuff, stuff that the internet's never seen before. And things that came out of those sessions where we we owned, 2016 was like a sports year that was a, a alley-oop, literal alley-oop yes. for us in terms of the 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 Cavs and the um the Cavs and the Warriors and the whole 3-1 lead thing and um the Cubs winning the World Series for the first time like since slavery ended <laughs> you know what i'm saying like 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 it was it was um it was a year of moments i believe serena won the u.s or the australian it was Austra- i know it was the australian because i was up at 2 a.m uh, watching, watching. And then help to post something so like it was when she was collecting when oh, when she was making that march to 24 and she was collecting all those chips so many things i believe the olympics happened that year mm-hmm. too so many so many major 10 pole events in sports and my group was able to help shape, along with our programming group, was able to shape the um, the voice of what was cool in sports social and what was creative and what's the standard to where now a lot of other outlets do the things that we do. Right. So now we're on to the next thing. So when you're in an environment where you literally have to create stuff that nobody's seen before mm-hmm. and elevate the things that you do have you have no choice but to but to show the wherewithal to to create and then when I look back to where what uh, type of creative I was in 2016 versus now it's night and day like I've only gotten better I've only gotten more inventive I've only thought about things in different ways mm-hmm. like it's it's even to the point where <laughs> I'll be coming I'm coming here and I'm looking at this area and I'm thinking of an idea and I, I can't turn it off but I never want yeah. to turn it off which is like the 26er way that's just who we are idea generators mm-hmm. you're always thinking about the next even if it's not for you it's like well who do I know who might be able to benefit from x y and z yeah, as well sure. um so shifting gears a little bit mm-hmm. tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day that's cool. It could be about any any anything. anything. Um, well, I'll stay with the career theme. 
Um, and this one, this one is like real important to me because it, it it's uh it's one of those life lessons mm-hmm. <laughs> things, right? So last year we we had a activation at NBA Summer League uh, in Las Vegas, and part of it was once again trying new things, trying creative things. We were working with some players. We um so now I'm a I'm a producer. I'm a mm-hmm. video producer, and part of my tasks I create social news, sixty second news stories along with my dope team, and we do a lot of IG stories related stuff, like original stuff on IG stories. So we started building that stuff out. Like it was in its infancy, like in terms of us really taking the charge to do more stuff. That was one of our first tentpole events to do it. So around this time, unless you were off world, you know, in another part of the multiverse or you were under a rock or you just don't care about sports, that's when LeBron had signed with the Lakers. Yes. That's when the news broke and everything went nuts, right? So while we were at Summer League, we had we came up with an idea to interview Lakers fans during the summer league games and ask them, what do you think LeBron has to do to become a better Laker than Kobe, right? And this was like the most... The easiest question to get the most reaction <laughs> and engagement you could think because everybody has an opinion whether you're a Laker fan or not. And, you know, the way their fan base travels, um, they're everywhere. Um, and and I knew, especially in, in Vegas, because Vegas doesn't have a team, a lot of people in Vegas are Lakers fans. Mm-hmm. So... It was a perfect storm. We go to the arena and it was a long day. We were there for like, I was personally there for like six or seven hours. We were interviewing players. We were capturing footage from games that we could possibly use in IG stories and all of that. And uh, my team had to go to another, somewhere else um, in the city to go. I think we had something with Trey Young. So they had to go do that. So my manager left me and he said, he was just like, yo, um, let's see if we can capture it. Cause this is in its infancy. So he's just like, let's see what we can capture. When I tell you I did like 15 laps around the the Mac Center, (laughs) I did mad laps and people were either in their seats or they didn't want to speak. And I was just like, yo, man, you know, my feet hurt, my back hurt, (laughs) my my eyes hurt, like everything hurt, right? And I'm just like, I don't know if this is going to happen. So I text them and I'm just like, yo, FYI, it's looking dry out here. I don't know if it's going to go down. I'll let you know what's up. He's like, all right, cool. So I had a moment where I just sat down and I was just watching watching everything and it's like everything slowed down everything slowed down not just breathed for a second and i thought to myself one what else are you gonna do if you don't get stuff here like we're gonna go back to the hotel you still got stuff to do at night you still have everything else to do but why not get something we got to do something like i've been i've worked red carpet at some of the most hectic screenings of movies with some of the most high profile a elite lister people you can imagine those scrums are like war right those scrums are war. I don't know what war feels like, but in terms of media war, like fighting for position, and I've, I feel like we're going, we're all going for a rebound at some point. Like I've been in situations where I've had to ask questions and, and finesse my way around situations. So this should be no different. Then I thought about it and I said, this is something that we've never done before. This is an opportunity also. I need to fight through, like, why do I really not want to do it? Is it because I'm tired? Is it because I'm frustrated? Is it all of the above? I identified it and I said, you know what? 
Let's fight through. Let's fight through and let, let's finesse it. Let's let's modify our plan and let's see how let's see what happens. So I, I start looking around and I see that there's an autograph signing for um one of the Lakers. I, I can't I can't remember the brother's name right now, but he was in the it was a, a Andre Young. Mm-hmm. He was in the D League. He's like over 30 years old. He was in the D League for years and he finally got a call up and he started like killing them out there. Like it was crazy. So he had an autograph signing and there was a bunch of Lakers fans on the line. So I said, okay, finally, that was like divine intervention. Finally, I have a place where all y'all are. So I started asking people. And then the minute, I guess, the games had ended, more Lakers fans just started coming up, like whether they were going to the bathroom, whatever. So I ended up getting a bunch of them. Um, and then uh, we didn't have, we wanted to do a, a certain edit and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I had like a bunch of editing apps on my phone and stuff that I used for myself. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to put my personal look on it. So I edited it. I did all of that, send it to the team. We put, once again, the creative collective mm-hmm. we put in they put in their input we put in ours we came up with the best looking thing possible we put it in our IG stories that ends up being one of the most highly performing non-sold pieces uh, sold or, or unsold pieces of content that we've ever put up in IG stories I think we got at one point like a million plus views in Instagram stories wow. right which is which is wild and when I heard that I was like the first thing I said was like wow Wow. Like, well, we, we, we did a thing, right? right? And the second thing was I said, okay, this is going to become a, this is going to become like a staple of what we do. I just know how the business works. Mm-hmm. And that's from my corporate America experience where right. you see cause and effect and you just, you know how execs think and, and how you think from a, a holistic brand perspective. Sure enough, like two or three weeks later, we're going to start doing this type of stuff more often. We're going to go to different events. And now we have one of the best IG stories accounts, like accounts. Well, our Instagram is like top, like, you know, only competition is House of Highlights, which is under us too. So it's like, it's like, it was like both of us going at each other in totally different ways, right? And and competing within within the family. Um, Our IG stories are, is like um, industry leading, right? And we ended up creating a bunch of original IG stories content Mm -hmm. um, based off of primarily like other factors, but that was one of the contributing factors that gave the catalyst for us to really go um, full force with it, right? Which helped me to increase my roles and responsibilities, which helped me to like have another avenue for me to work and do things. And had I not gone over the wall and hit right. the wall and just sat down and said, ow, <laughs> you know, and just left it at that. I don't know where, what I would be doing right now. Like, I don't know if that would have happened. Chances are we would have eventually probably mm-hmm. made a, made a push, but it's hard to argue with results. Absolutely. And, and that was something that I, I had to be extraordinary because I felt very ordinary. I felt below ordinary. Like my battery was on E. Mm-hmm. Like I, you, I kept, I kept, um, the, uh, swirling, the swirling star, like on the phone, like I, that's all I was that whole day. It's like you saw me. It's like I just stopped talking. I just you just saw this, and, and then it, I just I just go to black. Like that was me. So I had to overcome that in order to be my best self, and the results paid off. And one thing I want to point out is you would think, based on how you started, and you mentioned it, like oh there are ton, there got to be a ton of Lakers fans here. We have a captive audience, and I think sometimes we have a dope idea and we approach it, and we're like oh this is gonna be like shooting fish in a barrel. Yep. And then when it doesn't happen. The fish shot back. Yeah, when the fish shoot back, (laughs) it's like, maybe it wasn't a good idea. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes you just have to push a little harder, jump over the wall, or just 
tweak your approach a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think people get stuck at the staring at the wall and not thinking about, okay, do I have a rope? Do I have something to get me over it? Right. A hundred percent. So I want to talk also because people would, would hear this and think, oh, wow, he's at Bleacher Report. He's got this great gig. Um, and we all know, like, being in media is sexy. You, you get those kinds of uh, experiences and those types of positions. Um, it's well respected. But you haven't stopped there. No. You do other things. Yeah. So talk to us about all of your other projects. So I am uh, one third of the triumvirate known as For All Nerds. Mm -hmm. uh, I joined. I've been to get I was a guest on their show before. Well, not our show. Um, and starting last year, I became a full-time host on the show. That was through more... Um relationship building and it's it's part we do you know nerd and pop culture from the perspective of people of color mm -hmm. so black people talking about comics video games uh, movies everything that interests us like those, those type of um niche things that we we've people have loved all their lives and may not have had an outlet for people who look like them right. to celebrate it and to speak about it without being ridiculed or shunned or acting like you know this is the this is our club this is our stuff is not for you so that's been something that I've been doing over the last year and change and it's been going real well um it's you know all that stuff is what I'm passionate about and that's actually pop culture entertainment mm -hmm. is what I built my media stuff on like when I started getting into it so that worked that worked out um I've, I've done a lot of other cool stuff like I'm a panelist on the grapevine um so that was that was 2018 I was doing a lot like mm -hmm. I got on I think the end of 2017 is when I started doing grapevine and you know I was fortunate to be able to ask to come back and now I'm like a series regular it's like you know when you guest star in season three and they're like yo <laughs> he has become he's been promoted to series regular in series four in season four so that's it with with the grapevine and um and I'm, I'm still doing my own thing too like I do a lot of um stuff for myself like I put out reviews I, I do a whole lot of other stuff that I, I just like creating and I continue to create because I can't limit myself to just what I do at work and what I do you know different outlets mm -hmm. I feel like it helps me keep uh the reps keep the reps up and to keep continue creating so I do that and then you know I also get other opportunities at BR so I started doing on camera stuff for them too so uh, we we do an IG live um, IG live show called Let's Talk About It 10 minutes us with the fans talking which is wild because it's like thousands of people that and is commenting wild. and you talking and you know you don't know what these kids is about to say <laughs> But we give our perspective, but it's just like one big lunchroom, you know, and we're all talking. And um, I got some other stuff coming up with BR, too. So it's just been it's been like an exponential explosion of opportunity um, over the last year and change. And I just like I was telling one of my boys um, last night, I was just like, yo, I ain't stopping. Right. <laughs> I have no I have no impetus to stop. Like, I'm going to keep going until I can't go no more. So I want to talk a little bit about For All Nerds, okay. because I think. I've just learned in the last couple of years mm -hmm. how there's this whole community of like black folks who are comic book heads. Mm -hmm. like, I, I don't even think I, I understood that. Right? Really? They're, like I think back in the day, like when I was in high school, um, the the folks who were into that stuff were kind of off in their own mm -hmm. their own world. Now I think people who are quote nerds and black are mainstream. Right. Like it's cool to just be into what you're into right. no no matter even if it's a little bit left of center. When do you think that switch happened? If I had to if I had to put a point that's a, that's a 
real good question. When did the when did the uh, paradigm shift mm -hmm. towards cool nerds? Probably probably when all the nerds got into the cool stuff and became execs and became all of that <laughs> and just said, you know what, we're gonna turn this up. That's one thing. I think a lot of it is also the advent of quality pop culture stuff mm -hmm. that appeared. Um, you think about um, you know we we with WB we always had with DC we had the Batman series and we had all of that, but I think when uh, I know with comics, when the success of the MCU um, and Marvel Studios, when when those movies started happening, we had these we had these actors that have been in other stuff that started really blowing up and really making it cool. Mm -hmm. I think and they and they utilized a lot of source material from newer books that they were using. So they started Marvel started this ultimate line, which is supposed to be like where, we, you know, we have the original continuity that we've had for years. But this is the jumping on point for people who want a more um a more contemporary comic book mm -hmm. and it was like an alternate world set in the current times with with all the um you it's like the origin stories with a twist and a lot of that a lot of those runs pre, uh were what the, was foundational for the for Marvel Studios and the MCU so you had stuff like that that was that's been building for over the last decade plus you had Harry Potter you had all these things because they were actually good and then with the spread of social media i would even I would even put that you you had quality stuff you know even the cartoons like DC's animated has been like um, damn near flawless for like years right and um and then all other aspects of pop culture but when social media really started to explode your Twitters, your Facebooks, your IGs. These communities were able to find each other. So I read this book called The Long Tail where it talked about um, operating from abundance and how just like with music in different areas and movies, how you can niche markets can make a lot of money For sure. because you have you have things like Google that that um to find stuff you have stuff like Apple Music and Netflix that distribute you know what I mean and and it's easy to find those communities based on your common interests and things like Twitter and Facebook you could create groups you could find people you could search hashtags and you will find your community of folks so I think it was a mat as a matter of everybody coming together and saying oh yeah you like this I like this mm -hmm. too. And once those people who were probably teenagers and then grew up into the social media era and then they're working and they have money and they're putting money behind it, that's when it all of a sudden exploded. And I think, you know, society changes too. I think it's, I think now it's, it's cool to be smart and cool to be a nerd because it's seeped into pop culture. Yes. Because before it was a, uh, it was, it was niche. It was off to the side. It was like, oh, y'all be playing that Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> stuff. Like, ah, <laughs> like, all right, whatever. Warcraft, all right, y'all over there. We over here with like, we gonna, we gonna shoot some ball. We gonna play some ball. But also a lot of these games that, um, video games too had a lot to do with it. I would say, if I had to think of one thing, I would say video games definitely were the common denominator because once we started playing on our smartphones, once mm -hmm. we started playing on our laptops, that was like a, a, a common thread for people. And when that stuff started blowing up and now we can stream online and we they play stuff like when Call of Duty was big and 2k and madden and all these games where grown men and kids are on there mm -hmm. playing all the time 
and, and you have the the wherewithal and the means to to support your your hobbies. That's when everybody turned around and was like, "Oh, we don't gotta whisper about this anymore. Like, this is cool to say that I I, I like comic books." Um, I think that's when it blew up, and also people just not caring what other people think. Right. I think we have moved into an era where like we make it clear that we're not a monolith. Right. And our, our interests are varied. And that's cool. Even though I think mainstream media tries to put us in a box still quite a bit. Of course. Because um, they don't know what black is. Exactly. But we now are confident in saying that we don't necessarily fit in the mold that you think we should. Right. And, and of being black or what have you. Um, so I saw something that you posted on IG. It was a 10-year challenge. Oh, yeah, yeah, 2008 yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to 2018. Yeah. Hairline still intact. Yeah, kudos yo, yo, kudos by, by to By the that. grace of God, you know, I've been telling you, I don't make no jokes on people. I'm like, yo, you you losing your shit? Like, uh, go ahead. Like, my bad. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm praying for you. I got I got a barber, a barber two or three that I can, we can finesse. We can make something work. I don't, you know, I knock on everything. You know what I'm saying? Juices and berries. We're we making it all. Oh, okay. So you haven't really aged in that time frame. But I want to ask you, 10 years from now, where do you see Jeff J? Well, if you see him, you better tell him, tell him, <laughs> tell him I'm on my way. You know what I'm saying? Um, 10 years from now, where do I see myself? Okay. Hmm. She didn't even say five. She went to the whole 10. Like I did. I, like, said five. I said five. I said 10, yes. We going five plus five. Um, I want to be in a place where my work precedes me. My, my, uh, I think I'm I'm already in a place. I'm not no public figure or nothing like that. But I think my reputation, that's one thing that I always want is that my reputation precedes me. And just like you, if you know who I am, you know the person I am, um, that's the person that you know. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what really matters over anything. Um, but 10 years from now, I would want my work to be able to speak for myself. Like my work has its own life. And you know that I had a hand in something. And I, I like recognition. Recognition. I think we all do to an extent. So I would like to be in a world where I'm making things that people enjoy and I'm creating things that that can fulfill people the way hip hop and video games and comic books and TV, movies, literature have all molded and shaped me. If in this new era, I one of the things I say is I'm a digital storyteller. You know, that's the one thing over everything. I'm a digital storyteller. So I can tell stories visually in audio form, um, through a pic, you know, through a picture, um, through anything that I create, like I can tell you, I can tell you a story. So if these stories that I'm creating are giving people a sense of purpose or a sense of joy, or I can spark something in somebody to be to find their path the way I did, then I would want to be on that level. I'd also love to be in a place where I can go a week without looking at my bank account and wondering where money's going to go. And, Amen to that. And, 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 and you know, um, all of that, like that, that to me is a level of comfort. I don't need to be Jeff Bezos. I could be Jeff J. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. I, I, I can, like if I'm living comfortably, you know what I'm saying? With, with, uh, with, you know, family, family, if I'm so blessed to have one and my my own family, my my immediate family being uh, safe and secure. But I think in terms of success, I've always personally wanted to model, model my um, my trajectories, like similar to Nick Cannon and Ryan Seacrest and, you know, Terrence J and all these guys who are doing things in front of the camera and behind, because that's what a lot of people don't realize, that there's enough money behind the camera. You do not have to be the person in front to 
to find lucrative jobs or to even get fulfilled because I, as somebody who does both, you are nothing without your producers. Mm -hmm. You are, you, you, you get that production experience and you elevate yourself to another level. It's just a, a level of sophistication that, and a layer that you miss when you don't know the other side and really know the, um, the painstaking work that goes into it. So I, I want to be that type of media person where I'm like a one man empire. Um, let me not say empire. Um, <laughs> a one not this week. organization. <laughs> not this Organi week. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> nah, we, we could be, I could be an organization, but just like a one man brand, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like where somebody who, you know, is doing it kind of like similar to what I'm doing now, but on a whole nother level, you know, whatever recognition, whatever publicity for whatever that's worth, which is nothing like, you know, if people know who I am, that's fine. But I want to be able to grow and build like what I'm doing in front of the camera and what I'm doing behind so that somebody, somebody can see me like that. What I think is my optimal state is someone like, like somebody who has a show, who has these things that you see, but then it's also, I'm also the executive producer of this and mm -hmm. I'm producing that. And I have like my own company where I do stuff. And I think that's where that's the future state where we work for and we are the boss. Like I'm, I'm cool with that. So if I'm at a state where um, not only do I want to be doing that, but I want to be the pinnacle. I want to mm -hmm. be the best. I want to be the lead. I want to be like, uh, I don't want to just be a static bar. I want to be a bar that vacillates and only vacillates upward so that <laughs> anytime you try to reach, I'm on my way on to the yes. next level. So that's what I would want to be. And people do try to duplicate and the goal is to stay one step ahead yeah. while they're trying to duplicate. So where can people find you online? I am everywhere at Jeff J says uh, Twitter, Instagram. I have a Facebook page so you can find me everywhere there um, at For All Nerds for all of you that are into pop culture, geek culture culture um or you like good conversation because we talk about current events too we talk our stuff is evergreen we also have a segment called geekwitly asked questions mm -hmm. where you can literally ask us anything and we'll answer it from our perspective um so shout out to tatiana and ben there um you can find me at fall nerds there um grapevine at grapevine tv um you know all those shows those are always airing and i think i'm gonna be on the next round of tapings so that'll be good and if you're a sports fan or you like seeing cool stuff on the internet check out bleacher report anywhere and everywhere including our app because we do a lot of cool things there too well i've enjoyed this i hope you have i hope i, hope I wasn't talking too much I no like that's what you're supposed to do time. you're supposed to talk we're here to feature you i'm not supposed to be monotone and give mysterious answers no and you got all aggressive which i love see, no no don't see no don't say that you see yo you see she used the a word right you see i thought my sister i thought we were ab but above this, is, this this is for us when we say aggressive you it's know not, within it's our not community aggression, it's passion it's, yes it's you got all passionate. Passion. You got all passionate. Yeah, okay, she's well, like, she's you, like, you got wild aggressive. I'm like, damn, dog. <laughs> she looked at me. She was like, you you got like that in the meeting and they ain't fire you? Nah, I got, I'm just teasing. But yeah, no, this is what it is. You have to feel like we're we not here to be cool and chill and whatever. Like, exactly. you know, saying a, a lounge is the December 26th or podcast. You know exactly. What I'm we we go in sometimes. That's what it so is. That's cool. how we're supposed to. It's the only way to go. <laughs> so to our listeners, make sure you check out Jay, uh, Jeff J online. Jeff J says all across social media platforms. Make sure you check out December 26th there. Share this podcast if you are into it. Share Jeff's content if you are into it. We've got to support each other um, and build our own audiences and we can't do it without you. And always remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care.
Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delicia. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.